0: Need a quick place to pick up some of your favorite keto foods like Primal Kitchen mayo, coconut milk, almond butter, MCT oil, and sea salt at the best prices possible? Then head on over to thrivemarket.com keto to fill your low-carb, high-fat needs all in one place. Thrive Market sells the very best ketogenic-friendly brands at wholesale prices, so you're not spending your whole paycheck to get what you really want. Because they work directly with their members and cut out the middlemen, they can pass on the very best savings to you. I love that they donate a complimentary membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher for each new member who joins the Thrive Market family. I've hand-selected 25 of my favorite low-carb, high-fat products that I think you're going to love, too. For you, my listeners, you'll get 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping, plus a free 30-day trial of thrive market to see for yourself what an amazing way to shop keto this is don't forget the prices are already 25 to 50 percent below retail so you get these things as an added value so go to thrivemarket.com keto to take advantage of this exclusive offer for fans of my podcast thrive market Hey guys, I've been working on getting an affordable blood ketone meter for many months now and now I'm happy to introduce to you the smart meter. Go to bestketonetest.com to pre-order the most innovative technology in ketone testing to ever hit the marketplace. This is set to change the paradigm in blood ketone testing forever. The smart meter will test ketones, blood glucose, and total cholesterol, and immediately give instant access to testing blood ketones to so many more people who could never afford to test before. The smart meter is set to release on Tuesday, July the 24th. 2017, but right now we're giving you a great incentive to order and stock up on these ketone strips. For each vial of 50 blood ketone strips that you purchase before July the 25th, 2017, we're going to give you an extra $10 off the already low price of $75 using the coupon code UNLIMITED at checkout. That comes to just $1.30 per strip. Plus, you get free shipping in the U.S. and standard shipping rates worldwide. This is by far the very best deal you will find on blood ketone testing anywhere and we're so happy to be bringing this exciting news to you today. While you're at bestketonetest.com, pick up some blood glucose test strips for 50 of them for $25 and coming soon, you'll be able to test total cholesterol with a test strip. So again, it's called Smart Meter. Head on over to bestketonetest.com and get your smart meter today and don't forget to use the coupon code unlimited to get an extra $10 off each vial of 50 blood ketone test strips that you purchased prior to July the 25th, 2017. Bestketonetest.com. in episode 1277, Dr. Angela Poth. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place.
1: You're listening to the Live and Levita Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the
0: world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable and now here's our host and international best selling author you're like the ll cool j of podcasting jimmy moore today's featured audio is from the 2016 low carb usa conference that took place in san diego california go to lowcarbusa.org to get more information about this year's event coming up august 3rd through the 6th 2017 <laughs>
1: So my name is Angela Pfaff. Um, I'm at the University of South Florida. I work in Dr. D'Agostino's lab in the Department of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology, and my work really focuses on non-toxic adjuvant therapies for cancer, and largely nutrition-based therapies such as the ketogenic diet and ketone supplementation. And so I'll be talking about how. Um, we can exploit cancer metabolism. Cancer metabolism is very, very different than the metabolism of our healthy tissues, and we can possibly exploit that with ketosis. Um, I do need to disclose a couple of things. I am a scientific consultant for Provit, which sells an exogenous ketone product, and I am an inventor on two patents associated with keto technologies through our university. Um, I also do want to say that um, everything I'm showing you here is really in the investigatory stage and I'm very, very excited about the preliminary evidence that we have and things are moving into clinical trials and we're getting more evidence every year, Um, but it's not been thoroughly tested in clinical trials yet, so please do not consider this to be medical advice. Okay, so um, everyone in this room has been touched by cancer. I feel pretty certain of that. Um, It is currently the second leading cause of death in the United States. It's second only to heart disease, but it's projected to overtake heart disease at some point in the near future. Currently, it's projected that one in two men and one in three women will develop cancer at some point in their life, and one in four men and one in five women will actually end up dying from cancer which are pretty staggering statistics. Um, So I wanted to take you guys through what is cancer. We all know what cancer is generally, but what is it in a biological sense? Because what I'm gonna do is systematically show you the features of cancer and the data that has shown that ketosis with the ketogenic diet or possibly exogenous ketones um, have been able to target basically all of these aspects of cancer. So let's walk through the hallmarks of cancer, and these six hallmarks were first published, I think it was in 2000, there was a landmark paper published saying, okay, these six attributes have to be present for, um, for a cell to become cancerous. So let's walk through them. The first one is called sustaining proliferative signaling. So basically, all that means is cells in our body have the capacity to divide. But once we become fully formed adult humans, typically most of the cells in our body are not dividing uh, regularly. So cancer cells find a way uh, to turn those programs on so that they continually receive a signal to dot divide and make copies of themselves. And of course, that's how the tumor is gonna grow. Evading growth suppressors is another one. So um, as a fail-safe mechanism in our body, our cells basically have to be told when to divide and when not to, basically as a mechanism to protect against something like cancer. Uh, but cancer cells find a way to not listen to those signals that say, hey, stop dividing. Enabling replicative immortality, which is a fancy way of saying that these cells acquire the capability to essentially divide forever. So our healthy cells, even though they can be stimulated to divide, they can only divide a certain number of times before they essentially stop that. But we have cancer cells um, in culture, like in petri dis- uh, dishes, that came from patients in the 60s. And these cells continue to divide, and they can essentially do that forever. And of course, it's this unchecked cell division that allows for tumors to grow. Inducing angiogenesis, so this refers to the formation of new blood vessels. So um, if you can imagine a new tissue is growing, such as a tumor, it actually has to form new blood vessels to supply vasculature to allow nutrient and oxygen delivery to that new tissue. So this is a rate-limiting step for tumors. In order to grow past a certain size, they have to be able to grow new blood vessels. Uh resisting cell death so there's another fail safe mechanism that when something goes wrong in cells generally they'll receive what's called apoptotic signals and apoptosis is programmed cell suicide so it would be better for that cell to get rid of itself than allow it to continue on if there's something wrong with it But of course, cancer cells don't do this. They've shut down the mechanisms that induce apoptosis so that they continue to go on despite being very, very abnormal and dysregulated. And kind of the big boy is acquiring invasion and metastasis. So metastasis, you guys probably know what this means. So when a tumor spreads from the original location, and it goes somewhere else in the body. And it typically does this through the uh, blood vessel vasculature or the lymph vasculature. Um, and this is really when cancer becomes extremely difficult to treat. Uh, once a tumor has metastasized, most of our therapies are quite ineffective for very long-term management of the disease. And tumors can become resistant to uh, the therapies that we have. Okay, so that was um, published as the Sick Hallmarks of Cancer back in 2000. And then about a decade later, um, it was updated. The same authors put out an update to this publication where they said, okay, we found two more emerging hallmarks and then two enabling characteristics. And those enabling characteristics were genome instability and mutation. So most of you guys know that cancers are associated with genetic mutations. If you look at the nucleus of a cancer cell, it can contain hundreds and thousands of genetic mutations within a single tumor cell. And the types of mutations within a cell of one tumor can vary dramatically between the cells in the rest of that tumor. So it's an extremely heterogeneous population of genetic uh, mutations. And these mutations undoubtedly um, underlie a lot of this unbridled proliferation, basically established these hallmarks of cancer. So mutations in these pathways allow these things to go unchecked. And then tumor-promoting inflammation. So inflammation systemically, but also particularly in the tumor microenvironment, so right in that region where the tumor's forming, will promote the development of cancer and also strongly promote the progression of cancer into a more aggressive, invasive, metastatic-type tumor. And now, the uh, two emerging hallmarks were avoiding immune destruction. So our um, immune system is constantly surveying our body looking for forming tumors. So we've all probably had um, small cancers in our body many times. And our immune system is able to neutralize them. But at some point in a tumor's development to some full-grown cancer that becomes uh, pathological on a systemic level, it begins to avoid immune detection actually launches all of these very interesting and intricate types of defenses against the um, immune system to evade that. So that's avoiding immune destruction. And really the um, one that we're probably most interested in, especially in our lab, would be deregulating cellular energetics. And um, it's kind of a simple way to say that the tumor metabolism is very, very abnormal. It's heavily dysregulated, and it appears unlike um, the metabolism of the healthy cells in the tissue surrounding it. Now, it's kind of funny that in 2011, deregulating cellular energetics was Uh, published as an emerging hallmark of cancer because it was actually one of the first things we ever knew about cancer. So this is Dr. Oda Warburg. He was um, a German biochemist, and he did a lot of work in the early 20th century looking at the metabolism of cancer. And he was the first to show us that cancer cells have a very abnormal metabolic phenotype. And so what that is, it's called the Warburg effect, And essentially what happens is, let's look on the left panel here. Um, Actually, let's look on the right, sorry. This is representative of the kind of energy metabolism that we typically see in our healthy cells. So the cells are taking up glucose at a normal rate into the cell. It gets converted into pyruvate through glycolysis and goes on in metabolism to enter the mitochondria. That's where the Krebs cycle is. And then the... Energy equivalents that are produced in the Krebs cycle power ATP production in what's called the oxidative phosphorylation or the electron transport chain. So essentially this is called uh, aerobic respiration. And this is the kind of uh, normal state of things when you're talking about cellular energy metabolism. Most of our tissues use this pathway to produce energy. And it's very efficient. You make a lot of ATP per glucose that the cell is consuming. Well contrast that to what we see in cancer cells, it's very, very different. Cancer cells take up a lot of glucose, and they, instead of sending those downstream metabolites into the mitochondria, like our healthy cells do, they primarily get cycled through this pathway called lactate fermentation. And so you have this phenotype that is present, it's a very consistent cancer phenotype, it's seen in basically all known cancers, to some degree. And so this is called fermentation. This can happen at a rate 200 times out of a normally normal healthy cell. So this is very, very abnormal. And that's what cancer cells pretty much consistently exhibit this type of behavior um, to some degree. And the more aggressive a tumor is, and the further along in its progression, typically, the more significant this Warburg effect is. And this is demonstrating the Warburg effect on a systemic level. So this is called a FDG PET scan, and it's basically using radioactively labeled glucose to show where tumors are. And so any tissue that has a high glucose uh, uptake is going to light up on this PET scan, which is why brains will always light up. But everything else here are tumors. This is excretion in the bladder, but everything else um, are tumors. And so what we see is that be- this is the, a really common and important diagnostic tool in uh, clinical offices, oncology offices. So tumors, we know, everyone knows that tumors suck up glucose, and this is a primary example of that. That's why they're lining up on this glucose uptake PET scan. So they're using tons and tons of glucose. Okay, so um, I mentioned that the normal way that our cells make energy is very efficient. um, But the way that cancer does is very inefficient. So while if you use your mitochondria to metabolize glucose, you're going to get like 38 ATP made per glucose uh, molecule. But if you use this... Uh, fermentation pathway, you get about two. So it's a very inefficient mechanism. And at first, when you think about that, it really doesn't make sense. You kind of wonder, well, why would a tumor was trying to grow rapidly? It obviously has a lot of metabolic demands as any like rapidly growing tissue would. Why would it be utilizing some very inefficient energetic pathway? And that's an important point to consider and I think still... um, uh, has implications on how we view why this happens. But I do want to point out, that system actually benefits the tumor in many, many ways. And I won't go into all the details, but essentially what we find is that the Warburg effect instead of completely oxidizing glucose in the mitochondria, you can save those carbons and ship them towards what we call biomass production, biomolecule synthesis. So if you're building a new tumor, you need a lot of new lipids to form membranes, you need new proteins, you need new DNA. And so the Warburg effect provides, by taking up a lot of glucose and not metabolizing it in the mitochondria, it provides basically a supply of um, biomass for the growing tumor. So you kind of have these two contrasting ideas, so is it is there something wrong with the cancer cell that makes it have to use this energetically inefficient way of producing energy? Um, Or is this an adaptive advantage? Is the tumor taking an advantage of this ability to make new tumor cells? So, the um, contrasting idea to it being an adaptive response would be that they need to do this, that there is something wrong with the cancer cell metabolism to a degree that it can't rely on the normal pathways. And so this would come in the form of mitochondrial dysfunction. So if the mitochondria is not functioning normally, then you're not going to be able to rely to a normal degree on the mitochondria for energy. And there's actually a lot of data showing that there's very widespread mitochondrial dysfunction in cancer cells. Um, Everything from mutations in the mitochondrial genome to alterations in the type of lipids that are in the mitochondrial membrane to alterations in the membrane potential of the mitochondria. Many, many things. But I think this picture actually highlights it best. Um, On the left is kind of an image of what a healthy mitochondria would look like. You see those little folds in the middle? Um, That's where ATP is being made in the mitochondria. So this is a healthy uh, cell with a healthy mitochondria making ATP. This is an image looking at the mitochondria of a brain tumor cell. You see what's missing? So It's fold. So where would you be making the ATP in this mitochondria, right? There's going to be some deficiency there. And in this particular case, I would imagine quite a big degree of deficiency. And so at the same time, we have the Warburg effect definitely um, benefits the tumor. So it could be an adaptive response. But then it also might be a consequence of an innate mitochondrial dysfunction. And so the idea is basically, well, this system is impaired in the tumor. And so it has to revert to this because the mitochondria aren't capable of keeping up. And I want to say, I don't think it's that they're completely dysfunctional and completely incapable of using the mitochondria. I don't think that's supported by the evidence. But I think the evidence heavily suggests that there is a very consistent reduction in the ability to use the mitochondria normally in cancer. So this was actually Warburg's hypothesis. So nearly a hundred years ago, he said, this is the cause of cancer. He didn't have all the fancy techniques that we have today to look at the mitochondria, but he predicted something like this was going on. He said, okay, tumors have to be, have to have some kind of impairment in their mitochondria if they're exhibiting this Warburg effect. So he kind of predicted what we ended up seeing, these mitochondrial defects in cancers. And that was his hypothesis. And then in the 1970s, there was a big explosion in mapping and finding these genetic mutations in the DNA of cancer. And research really turned away from cancer metabolism and and heavily focused on cancer genetics. And that's where it's been for the past 50 years. And so this was kind of left alone for a while. Um, And really only in the past... Decade or so, we've seen a re-emergence of this idea. And so this is Dr. Thomas Seyfried. I saw earlier that most of you are familiar with him. Uh, if you've not read this book, I do highly recommend it. It can get quite um, scientific at times, but he's done an amazing job uh, citing all of his points, um, which of course is, is important to be extremely data-driven, which he is. But he outlies this idea that The current view is cancer is a genetic disease. That these gene mutations in the nucleus of our cells are the root cause of cancer. Undoubtedly, they allow cancer to happen and are extremely important. But what he says is they're actually not the root cause. He thinks that it is a downstream consequence of mitochondrial metabolic dysfunction, which in turn actually makes cancer more of a metabolic disease than a genetic disease. And he has some really, really um, important data to support this idea. So if you're interested in learning more, I heavily recommend it. So it brings to light the question, if we're viewing cancer in a way that's not really 100% accurate, what if cancer is primarily a metabolic disease? What if these genes that we've spent billions of dollars trying to target, and in many cases, in most cases, I would even say to little effect, um, are not the root cause of cancer. What if there's another cause, and what if we can turn our efforts towards that? And that's what we're starting to see. A lot of research is now focusing on cancer metabolism. So if it is, in fact, the consequence of some dysfunction in energy metabolism, we might get better therapeutic targets and better clinical results. Now, I think the jury is still out on the metabolic can- theory of cancer. This is by no means a um, widely accepted idea. Um, and I think that um, we'll begin to really understand. Personally, I think the data suggests that the majority of cancers probably come about in this path um but even if say okay The energy metabolism is some hallmark of cancer, but it's not the root cause. Even if that were the case, it's still a great therapeutic target. I was saying it's something that is consistently seen across cancer types. So remember how I said those genetic mutations can differ between cells in a single tumor. And so if you give some kind of targeted drug that targets a gene mutation in this cell of a tumor, but the cell beside it doesn't have that gene mutation, it's perfectly happy. It's not gonna be targeted. I think that metabolism is a more consistent and universal phenotype of cancer cells specifically that we might be able to target therapeutically. So how do we go about doing that? So I'm sure you're all thinking, glucose really fuels cancer. Obvious answer to this crowd especially is to start looking at dietary carbohydrate intake. And we do see that car- dietary carbohydrate intake is correlated and associated with many, with an increased risk of developing many different types of cancer. We see that patients who have hyperglycemia or high blood glucose when they're being treated for cancer have a poorer prognosis than those who don't have bouts of hyperglycemia during their treatment. In animal models, we see that blood glucose directly correlates to tumor growth. So, in this study, we were um, the authors were mapping the tumor size to the blood glucose, and that's a very linear correlation. As glucose, the higher the animal's glucose, the larger the tumors were. And this has been shown in different tumor models. It's a pretty consistent phenotype. So, cancers thrive on glucose. They're obviously vulnerable to energy stress, especially if we consider um, the metabolic deficiencies of tumors. And so that leads us to the idea of the ketogenic diet, which of course, you guys know, induces a state of ketosis. And so you have an elevation in blood ketones, a lowering of glucose, and a lowering of insulin. And what's interesting is the ketogenic diet, which I'll tell you in a second, has really been shown to have some nice, nice effects in animal models. Many things that elevate ketones or induce ketosis have the same effect. Calorie restriction has been shown to inhibit tumor growth in animal models. Fasting, uh, the ketogenic diet, exercise, all of these things that induce ketosis seem to have anti-cancer effects. And so, of course, from what I told you about glucose being this really preferred fuel for tumors, that makes sense that lowering glucose with the ketogenic diet, it's going to be some kind of way to target cancer. But also insulin. And you guys know that when you take in extra um, dietary carbohydrate, or at all, you cause an insulin response. Insulin is a really potent growth factor. And insulin signaling and IGF signaling, insulin-like growth factor signaling... Uh, These pathways are heavily upregulated in tumors. So it's not just glucose fueling the energy metabolism but it's a downstream cascade of signaling factors that cause these tumors to increase their division to inhibit apoptosis and have all of these really beneficial responses for the tumor.
0: I don't know about you but one of the things that I really missed when I started this low carb thing way back in 2004 was baked goods. You know, like a muffin. There's just something about that cake texture that's awesomely satisfying to hit the spot. But up until now, it's been off limits on my low-carb, ketogenic lifestyle. So I was psyched a few weeks back when I first discovered a brand new product called Nush. That's Nush, kind of like Nosh, but with a U. Nush cakes are not like so much of the other low carb stuff already out there, partly because of their wonderful cakey texture. They're not tough or dry or chewy, they're just really flavorful cakes. Nush cakes also happen to be certified organic, certified gluten free, and super low in sugar and carbohydrates, with just two to three net carbs per cake. The Nush people sent me samples of their flavors, including banana nut, lemon poppy seed, cocoa, and and carrot spice. I liked the banana nut one the best, but I really like all of them, and I think you will too. Go to nushfoods.com and be sure to enter the coupon code JIMMY at checkout to get 20% off your first order. Again, that's nushfoods.com for the best tasting low carb baked good you'll ever taste. Nushfoods. They're back and better than ever at jimmylovesfbomb.com. They are the F-Bomb company. Fat is smart fuel. They have made some incredible products for the ketogenic community, and they make keto easier. They have products that include coconut oil, macadamia nut oil, house blend, MCT oil, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut butter with sea salt, macadamia nut butter without salt, coconut butter macadamia nut butter blend they also have salted chocolate macadamia nut butter these are all available to you now at jimmylovesfbomb.com and if you head on over there now and you use the coupon code jimmylovesfbomb they'll give you 10 percent off of your first order jimmylovesfbomb.com America has a new favorite protein bar and it's the chocolate chip cookie dough bar from quest nutrition. Each quest bar contains 21 grams of protein is packed with 14 grams of fiber and has just one gram of sugar. Visit their website questnutrition.com to find their full selection of bars, shakes, chips, and more. And coming soon, don't miss the special keto line of products that have been under development for the past two years. Again, give them a try at QuestNutrition.com.
1: Now, what's really interesting is while glucose is obviously an extremely good energy source for most cancers, um, ketones, we know, are a very good energy source for a healthy tissue, but it doesn't seem like they are for cancer cells, and so... Why might this be? Well, I think it probably has to do with the fact that ketones are metabolized exclusively within the mitochondria. So you bypass all of those pathways that I showed you were super upregulated in cancer cells. And so you enter uh, the pathways down here at the level of the mitochondria. And what did I say about cancer mitochondria? They seem to be damaged, right? So if you are removing glucose... Uh, which is a good fuel for cancer, and providing ketones, our healthy cells have great mitochondria, for the most part, compared to cancer at least. And then you're supplying an energy substrate that cancer cells are probably going to be inherently deficient in using to some degree. That sounds like a really good option, right? Now what's also interesting is, aside from this, the fact that ketones are metabolized in the mitochondria, there are other suggestions that show that many tumors actually do not express the ketolytic or ketone utilization enzymes. And um, that would also suggest that ketones are not gonna be a good fuel for cancer cells. And this might actually be some kind of adaptive response. If ketones are damaging them in some way, they might shut down these pathways in order to prevent that damage by ketones. So there have been studies that show when you compare healthy cells to tumor cells, of the same cell type. So, for example, brain cancer cells versus healthy brain tissue. Um, Ketones, you can take away glucose from your healthy brain and give it ketones, and they're perfectly fine. But if you do that to the brain cancer cells, they can't survive. That study was shown five different types of brain cancer cell lines consistently were unable to make the switch when you remove glucose and give them ketones instead. Okay, so the ketogenic diet has been studied now for a little while in cancer, and like I said, things are really picking up. There's new data Um, it seems every month, um, and there's a lot more interest in it, and we really have seen this kind of consistent response in animal models of various types of cancer, be it brain cancer or pancreatic cancer or breast cancer, colon cancer, many different types of cancer, again underlying this idea that maybe this is going to be a more universal type treatment. Um, and for that reason, we're starting to see clinical trials pop up. And that's what I'm extremely excited about. Um, and I feel like every year this list is really growing. And so this is what we really need, the human clinical trials. Because that's what's going to be important to the oncologists when they go um, about putting their patients on a treatment. And I'm just going to show you some data. There's a a good amount of data out there, so I'm just going to show you some of ours. Um, This was looking at two different types of ketogenic diets in what we have is a mouse model of metastatic cancer. So these cells are highly metastatic. We implant them uh, under the skin, in the abdomen, and basically the cells will spread throughout the body quite rapidly. And so uh, the bioluminescence or the glowing um, signal is coming from the cancer cells. And so... <clears throat> in our control animals that were given standard rodent chow, which is a higher carbohydrate diet, still not a bad diet, right? It's like optimized for rodent health. So it's not like the standard American diet that most of us are eating. When we compare that, not of us, but (laughs) most people unfortunately are eating, When you compare that to the ketogenic diet, we saw that at the same time point, this is three weeks after we gave the tumor cells, and and let me stress, this is a very aggressive model, it's very hard to treat. Um, So it would be kind of a worst case scenario type model of cancer. Um, You do see this reduction in tumor growth and tumor spread. This is showing how much tumor we're picking up in different areas of the body. And then when we map their survival, we see about a 50% increase in survival time from these animals, just given this ketogenic diet. Um, So it's led us to the question, what exactly are underlying the effects of the ketogenic diet? Do ketones themselves have anti-cancer effects? As Dr. DiAgostino just really nicely showed us, there are so many signaling properties of ketone bodies. Maybe that has something to do with it. And there's actually, there was some data to suggest that that very well may be the case. So this is a trial that was performed a few years back. Ten patients that had very advanced metastatic disease, all late stage, all um, had failed standard of care, radiation, chemotherapy for their Uh, various types of cancers and they were put on a ketogenic diet and about 60% of them had stable disease or partial remission and this is really a big win in this Population Very terminal cancer. Um, But what was interesting was in this study, there actually wasn't a statistically significant drop in blood glucose in the group. And what they found was that the individuals who responded the best to the diet were the ones that were able to elevate their ketones the most. Again, suggesting that maybe the elevation in ketones itself is at least an extremely important part of this uh, potential therapy. So I'm going to take you through many reasons why that might be the case. First, um, Dr. D'Agostino mentioned this earlier, ketones lower blood glucose. So if you provide ketones exogenously, you get a very consistent reduction in glucose. And it's also been shown to reduce insulin as well. And there's some um, hypothesized... Uh predictions that they might have some kind of enhancement in insulin sensitivity at least to maybe our healthy tissues. So we see definitely a drop in blood glucose when ketones are present and probably also a drop in insulin and both of those things, remember, high glucose, high insulin, drive tumor growth. Ketones reduce oxidative stress. So we um, Free radicals or reactive oxygen species are basically these little molecules that are made in our cells and when they accumulate to sufficient levels they can go and basically attack molecules in our body and damage them. And so, Tumors have a very interesting relationship with oxidative stress because they actually benefit from having an elevation of it around. So when you have these free radicals present, the tumors actually get some uh, mutagenesis so the genome can mutate more, which may give it genetic mutations, which make it more robust, um, of a tumor and it also stimulates growth signaling pathways in the tumor. But they're still very susceptible to uh, enhanced oxidative stress so you can actually push them over a threshold where they will succumb to oxidative stress. But it's very clear that a low-level elevation of oxidative stress in tumors makes the tumors uh, more aggressive. And so The ketogenic diet or ketones reduce oxidative stress. You get less free radicals being produced and you get an enhancement in your antioxidant capacity as well. So this might be another mechanism by which you're taking away some kind of benefit from the tumor. Ketones alter gene expression in tumors and this is not very well uh, understood exactly how this is happening but studies have shown that tumors that are grown under the context of a ketogenic diet have drastically different gene expressions than those that are not treated with the ketogenic diet. It might have something to do with the fact that ketones are histone deacetylase inhibitors. And uh, Dr. D'Agostino actually was just talking about this a second ago. But what's interesting is the exact type of histone deacetylase inhibitor that the ketone body beta-hydroxybutyrate is is a class of anti-cancer drugs. So there are pharmaceutical companies out there making synthetic class one and class two HDAC inhibitors as potential cancer treatments. And here we have beta-hydroxybutyrate eliciting these properties as an endogenous HDAC inhibitor. So the alteration in gene signaling that we see in tumors with the ketogenic diet might have something to do with this specifically. And these were just some studies that un, that showed this um, quite nicely, is that the diet affects gene expression in the tumors. And it has a very different effect on tumor and healthy tissue. Pretty much consistently, you see um, changes that will damage the tumor in the tumor and changes that benefit the healthy tissue in the healthy tissue. It's very interesting. We don't really understand the difference. It might have to do with the mitochondrial dysfunction that's in cancer cells, but Uh, It's extremely interesting. Ketones inhibit inflammation. Remember I said that inflammation is one of those um, characteristics that help allow tumors to form and become more aggressive. And ketones definitely inhibit inflammation. The ketogenic diet has been shown to decrease um, circulating systemic inflammatory markers. We also saw in our own studies with exogenous ketones many different types Pretty much consistently we see um, a reduction in many pro-inflammatory markers. Um, And we more recently learned that beta-hydroxybutyrate inhibits the NLRP3 inflammasome. And this is a component of the immune system that induces inflammation as we age, but also in chronic illnesses and also in cancer. And also helps um, cancers become resistant to chemotherapy and radiation. So if you can shut down NLRP3-mediated inflammation, you can maybe um, damage the cancer directly and then also keep it from getting resistant to the therapies that are currently being used in clinics ketones reduce tumor vascularization. So um, I said that tumors have to build new blood vessels if they're going to grow past a certain size. And there have been a few different studies that showed ketogenic diets. Or In this um, example, we actually have a ketogenic diet with the ketone ester supplemented on top of it. These tumors are smaller and definitely less vascularized. So there's a reduction in vascularization or probably probably angiogenesis, Um, definitely vascularization in these tumors. Cachexia, um, is and that's the wasting of primarily lean muscle mass which is the dangerous aspect of the condition associated with some kind of pathology in this example cancer induced cachexia it's a major problem um, exacerbated by the damaging effects of some of the therapies that are used in clinics but cancer patients towards the end of their uh, disease will have um, dramatic cachexic Uh, Effects and that contributes to their morbidity and mortality very significantly. Ketones are muscle sparing, and so they will help prevent this muscle breakdown. And this has been shown in a pancreatic cancer cachexia type model. And so they showed that basically the ketogenic diet ketone bodies was able to slow tumor growth. So tumors were smaller, but lean muscle mass was preserved ketosis seems to reactivate the immune system against the tumor. So remember I said that the tumor, when it's developing and becoming dangerous, finds a way to evade the immune system. Well, this was a fantastic study put out recently by um, a great colleague and friend, Dr. Adrienne Sheck, and she showed that the ketogenic diet works at least in some way by basically turning the immune system back onto the tumor. And so they saw a greater amount of um, immune cells infiltrating and attacking the tumor and less of the resistance mechanisms of the tumor in response to the immune system. So this, all of these effects of ketones that are directly attributable, many of them, to ketones themselves, not necessarily within the context of the diet, but probably enhanced by that, led us to ask, well, okay, does, do ketones themselves, can they work independently of carbohydrate restriction? And so we looked in culture first, and basically this is just showing you that across a couple of different concentrations of glucose, when we add ketones to the mix, and this was 5 millimolar, so it was a physiologically relevant level, you see a reduction in the proliferation or division of the cancer cells. So even when the cells had all the glucose they could possibly want, 25 millimolar glucose, which cancer cells love that, um, even in the presence of that high of glucose, just adding Some ketones what decreased its ability, the cell's ability to divide. And this is data from our lab in a brain cancer cell line. But similar results have been reported for acetoacetate. Um, This was with beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, in many different cancer cell lines of different cancer types. They also can inhibit cell survival. So in this image, basically red are dead cells, green are tagging live cells. And this is in the presence again of super high glucose. Just adding ketones significantly increase the amount of red or dead cells and decrease the amount of green or live cells. When we tried to look at exogenous ketones alone as a therapy, we found very good results. So this was a calorie restriction group that we included in this study as a type of control because they do lose a little bit of body weight, which is typical of ketosis. Um, And we saw very similar results to what we saw with the diet, in that just adding these exogenous ketones reduced tumor growth, reduced metastatic spread, and increased survival time in these animals. So these are just two different exogenous ketone sources that we use, but we saw about a 50, 50 to 70, depending on which one, percent increase in survival time. And so in this model, our exogenous supplements were as effective as the diet. Um, this leads us to ask, okay, ketosis seems to have anti-cancer effects on its own. What about, how would we be implementing this clinically down the road? It's going to go in as a algebra, right, to current standard of care that's typically how it works. So is it going to be a good adjuvant therapy? It really seems like it would be. So combining it, there's been some studies showing that combining the ketogenic diet with the therapies that are already being used clinically gives a very nice synergistic response. This was a study um, in an aggressive glioma brain cancer model um, showing that alone, the ketogenic diet or radiation therapy, they prolonged survival, but none of the animals survived. But when the ketogenic diet was combined with radiation therapy, actually 82% of the animals had complete and permanent remission of tumors. And so even after, I think it was 100 days on the ketogenic diet, the tumors had been gone for a long time, they took them back on a standard uh, diet and kept following them out. For another 200 days, I believe, and then they did necropsy, looked at the tissues uh, very closely and found no evidence of tumor in those animals. So a very potent synergistic effect between radiation and the ketogenic diet in this brain cancer model. Um, We are very interested in non-toxic adjuvant therapies, and one that we study is hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which you heard a lot about hyperbaric oxygen previously. Um, And so I don't have time to go into the mechanisms of hyperbaric oxygen for cancer, but essentially it seems to cause an overproduction of free radicals and induces oxidative stress in the tumor that could kill uh, portions of the tumor. And so what we saw when we combined at least in cell culture, kind of mimicked what would be a ketogenic diet with hyperbaric oxygen. Here we saw a very nice decrease in the viability of these cells, and many of these cells uh, were killed by these conditions. And then we saw basically a cessation of their proliferation, so they were not really dividing in the presence of these treatments. And this is what happened in the animal model when we used the ketogenic diet with... Uh, exogenous ketones in the form of the ketone ester and hyperbaric oxygen. So at this time point, basically the majority of the animals were not exhibiting any tumors at all. The tumors did eventually come back, but you had a dramatic reduction in tumor growth rate here. This is the ketogenic diet, the ketone ester and hyperbaric oxygen. These tumors are growing extremely slowly and you have a marked reduction in metastatic spread through the animals. And here we're looking more closely at the organs. So these are animals that had received the tumor cells in their adipose tissue here and here three weeks prior. And in our control animals, you see the glowing tumor cells spread throughout the body. And in the treated animals, basically, you see tumor cells still at the site where we implanted, but nowhere else, essentially, at this time point. And these animals ended up living twice as long as our control um, animals. And this was a non-toxic therapy and something that could potentially be an effective adjuvant to what's going on in the clinic. And so I hope that I've kind of been able to show you right now the plethora of evidence really suggests that ketosis targets These hallmarks of cancer that we in the cancer field all know as being the absolute underlying pathology of the disease. And this one one therapy, essentially ketosis, seems to target all of them. And so it's extremely exciting and very promising. And I cannot wait to see the results of the clinical trials, which are being started up and recruited for right now. So we can really understand where this therapy is going to be useful in the clinic. And I'll leave with just one idea. I didn't have time to really talk about it. We've been talking about cancer treatment, but I know probably on all of our minds, what can I do? Those those statistics are staggering. How many people in this country, in this world, are getting cancer? Can this help prevent cancer? Well, we do know that cancer is very uncommon in hunter-gatherer societies where you do see a more local carbohydrate type diet. and. Most of the things that conditions, hyperglycemia, hyperinsulinemia, obesity, inflammation, oxidative stress, these things are all fixed by ketosis for the most part. And these things all cause cancer, we know that. So I think there's a good chance it might. We don't know for sure, but my I would predict that ketosis can help prevent cancer. And uh, so uh, thank you for listening, um, and I just want to acknowledge our lab members and our funding partners, and um, just I appreciate you listening. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> Coming up next time on the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show. We continue with the 2016 Low Carb USA event with a lecture from Dr. Dominique D'Agostino. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveandlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live and Levita Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time.